You're listening to Reach, a podcast created for professional bloggers to help you expand your reach and maximize your bottom line. I'm your host, Val Geisler, fellow blogger and marketer at ConvertKit. Do you ever feel like it's too late to start your blog? Well, as the saying goes, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. That saying holds true in the blogging and business world, and no one knows it better than today's guest. We're talking to Brian Clark from Rainmaker Digital. Brian is a serial entrepreneur based in Boulder, Colorado. He's the founder and CEO of Rainmaker Digital, the company behind Copyblogger, Studio Press, Synthesis, Rainmaker FM, Digital Commerce Institute, and the Rainmaker platform. In this conversation, Brian tells us why it's never too late to start a blog, how to take a bold stance in your copywriting, and what apathy and empathy have to do with blogging and building a successful business. If you find yourself feeling inspired by today's interview and want to impact your own reach right away, get your free action guide from this episode at convertkit.com reach, or just click the link in your podcast player. Let's find out how Brian Clark achieved his reach. Hey, Brian Clark. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Um, So a lot of our listeners know about you from Rainmaker because we have that beautiful ConvertKit Rainmaker integration. Um, A lot of your customers are also our customers and vice versa. But there's more to... There's more to your story than than Rainmaker, and Rainmaker is maybe the most recent part of the story. So can you take us back a little bit to, oh gosh, I was just listening to an episode of Unemployable, and you were talking about the early days of Copyblogger and bootstrapping and um, starting your website with a thousand bucks. Yeah. So I'll just summarize the pre-Copyblogger era. Uh, I was an attorney. I quit in 98 to write on the internet, which my mom would, did not understand. And I don't think she understands what I do now, but she knows I'm not in the street. <laughs> so, and long story short, I, the first business I started failed. I figured things out. Uh, my, my first business involved creating content, building audiences, and trying to make money with advertising. Uh, I read Permission Marketing by Seth Godin and said, oh, I'm doing everything right, except I need to sell products and services. So that's what I did. I built three businesses that way. And in 2005, I was not entirely happy with those businesses and wasn't entirely great at managing them. I was really good at marketing, though. So I took a step back and decided I was going to share what I did to build those businesses, which everyone thought was weird in the normal world, quote unquote, which was what we now call content marketing. So Copyblogger was launched in January of 2006. And if you look back at the early post, it's clearly content marketing. But we did not call it that until 2008 when my friend Joe Paluzzi convinced me that for better or worse, this is the brand that is sticking. And as you know now, it's like a $40 billion industry. So, you know, even though I never really took to the, that title, uh, I think it was the right thing to do. So anyway, um, I build the audience at Copyblogger really quickly. It was interesting because everyone always thinks that they're too late for whatever new thing is happening in blogging. You know, if you didn't start in 2001, 
then you were late to the party. But I started in 2006, right, really when commercial blogging, blogging for business, all of these things were really taking hold. So initial advice for people, never think you're too late. You may be just perfectly timed depending on what you're doing. And uh, But it was still a very kind of kumbaya movement, uh, kind of anti-commercial, suspicious of anyone who would say you should sell things with a blog, which is what I was saying. And so I, I spent like a year and a half building the audience, building trust, uh, almost to the point where people were like, go ahead and sell me something. That's a good place to be. Um, and so yeah. in 2007, what we figured out was these are people who can write, they can create content. Uh, they're not coders, developers, designers necessarily. So we thought the best thing we could do was teach people effectively the intersection of you know, marketing and instructional design, which is now what we call e-learning or online courses or whatever. And the funny thing about that is in 2007, I had to convince, I had just convinced people to sell stuff other than advertising. And now I had to convince them that people will still pay for information. And believe it or not, back at that time, there were very popular bloggers who were like, no one's ever going to pay for anything again. I'm like, oh God, you're so misguided. Uh, <laughs> you know, and last year. So they yeah. were saying People wouldn't pay for e-courses yeah. or, or it was a ridiculous like notion, but people believe these people. And so now, yeah. what twenty-three billion in e-learning alone in the United States last year? I mean, come on. To me, it was obvious, yeah. but it was funny th that you have to recognize where your audience is at and accept that and embrace that instead of saying, "Hey, dummy, you know how, how do you how could you believe that?" You know that. And I see people make that mistake all the time. Anyway, that launched. We went from zero to six figures in a week and then seven figures within the year. And then the next year, I got into software, which is something I didn't think I could do because I am not beyond basic HTML. I can't code. Um, but I, I was good at product development. I was good at recognizing pain points because I, I think I am somewhat representative of our target customer. You know, I create content. I'm a business person. But I don't want to mess with technology. So you can see the thread that started in 2008 all the way up to Rainmaker. Each year we're trying to solve that problem better. So that was really uh, the beginning of the WordPress premium market up until that point. Everything was free, but everything was also unsupported. And I had the recognition that, number one, these features will make people's lives better. And number two, people are really paying for support. They want to know someone's there to help them. So yeah. 2009, uh, we launched our first SaaS. This was, okay, let me back up a little bit. The online course we did was with one partner in, in a company that was launched off of Copyblogger. The WordPress design framework in 2008 was another partner in a separate company launched off of Copyblogger. In 2009, okay. another guy, Sean Jackson, approached me and had architected a kind of simple but interesting SaaS product that uh, helped writers, uh, you know, be SEO friendly without killing the, the content. So by the time we got to 2010, we've got all these separate companies, all of them are in seven figures, smart people, but they're not talking to each other because I'm the only thing in common. I'm in the middle and I've got this constellation of companies that we all launched off of this platform to this audience. Through the partnerships. Um, yeah. So I had the audience and in each case they had the, either the ability to help me or a skill set I didn't have, such as coding. So by the time we get to 2010, I'm like, wait a minute, 
I want to do something bigger than this, but the only way we're going to be able to do that is to all come together. So we got together in Denver. It was the first time these people had ever met each other. And uh, in two hours, we had worked out what is now called Rainmaker Digital. We merged all the companies together. I actually exited one of the partnerships, and then Brian Gardner of Studio Press took that space which was a great move because Brian is a, an excellent partner and, and that's been very beneficial yeah. for helping us bootstrap because we never take investment. We didn't even advertise until this year. That's it's an incredible proof that you don't need to look outside for, um, for investment or even, um, you know, advice for that matter. Um, we all have mentors and people that we consider, you know, the, the our go-tos when we have questions, but really you, you looked at what people, you said you recognize where your audience is and, and go from there. And so that takes a lot of looking inside and looking at those partnerships you were building and saying, wow, I am the miss, I am the link between all these things. And, um, and how do I bring it all together? Yeah. The interesting thing also is that all of those people came to me out of the audience. Now it looks like too perfect, but I said no to 98 things in order to say yes to three things. Right. So I think Steve Jobs says saying no is more important than saying yes, and I believe that. Um, the also interesting thing is, okay, so uh, we did $12 million in revenue last year. Again, bootstrapped, so it's just us. Uh, and again, just now getting into advertising. But also our 65 virtual employees all came from the audience too. So I'm spoiled rotten, but this is why I preach audience because – you know, like you have the, your core values up on the wall in the break room or whatever. Mm-hmm. Our core values were shared in the content. And so like-minded people naturally migrated to us. So the culture is awesome. All we really have to manage is working together all over the world. But, I mean, we're an Internet company. These are Internet people. So yep. I, I just feel really blessed, but I, I owe it all to at least the initial insight based on you know, 98 to 2005, that if you build an audience, you can figure out how to build a business. You know, that's an interesting point and something we um, as content marketers don't really think about that we are out there writing content and putting it out there for our intended customer. But at the same time, we're really positioning our businesses, our blogs, our ourselves around a particular theme and, and core values, whether we call them that or not. And that actually attracts people to us who could become part of our company and part of our business. And, you know, reach goes beyond the reach that you have with your with your audience, with your customers, but also to the world at large and people who might partner with you um, in, and even join your your ranks one day. Yeah, I, I agree. I've never used the words core values, you know, right. but, but because it wasn't necessary because uh, by educating people in, in the way that I thought was the proper way to do marketing in the 21st century, it's all about providing value to others, solving their problems. You know, your needs are secondary, but you do end up getting what you want if you live by that code. Yeah. You said that with the when it was all separate companies and you had all those parts and pieces and people coming to you left and right, probably with some partnership opportunities, you said they came to you because you had the audience and they had the expertise. What was building that audience like? Was it 
through copy? Was it through direct outreach? Can you say a little bit more about building that audience to the point that someone recognized it as valuable? Well, it's interesting. When I first launched Copyblogger, like I said, we were just coming out of the kind of very idealistic phase of blogging. And here comes this guy saying, uh, first of all, uh, teaching them to apply copywriting principles to their content so it's more engaging, uh, gets more readership, gets more traffic, actually accomplishes what you're trying to do, which is build an audience and then obviously uh, either sell them what you have to sell or figure out what they want to buy. Um, and like half the world was ready to hear that in, in the little blogging microcosm and the old guard did not like it at all. And they were critical of me and said, I didn't get it. And I was an idiot basically, but they linked to me and their audience said, no, I think he's pretty smart. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I'm not a guy who believes that all no PR is bad. But in those cases, it didn't matter if you were, you know, if you liked what I was doing or if you didn't, as long as you linked, your audience got to decide. And I think that was part of the early catalyst that allowed Copyblogger to grow really uh, impressively that first year and then, you know, obviously keep going. But it was just creating, it was like an escalating, um, sense of uh, not warfare, but we were trying to outvalue each other during those years. So, you know, what we now call long form epic content, we invented that because we're just like, hey, watch this. Your post went viral. We'll watch this one go viral. You like know? word I mean, battling. Yeah. So in, <laughs> in a sense, there was it was a different time. And yet at the same time, the principles remain the same, which is give more value, give it in a unique way. Um, more than your competitors. Now, in, in our space, blogging, content marketing, whatever, it's very competitive. But even today, in other spaces, your competitors probably aren't doing anything great. So there's always this room um, to go ahead and outdo the competition. That's your mindset. And outdoing them is not some cutthroat thing. It's how can I give more value to my prospects than they do? And that's good for everyone. And it's that bold stance of this is what I believe in and I know people are going to disagree with it and I'm okay with that. Um, Because I think a lot of people take the tactic of, okay, I'll outdo my competition. They wrote a, you know, 11 ways to whatever. I'm going to write 12 ways to do that thing, right? So that's not necessarily what I mean, but I get you. (laughs) But that's actually – that's what a lot of people think it means yeah. to, like, provide more value. And that's not necessarily what it means. No, it, it um, means – Can you tell me – yeah, say more about that. It, it means being more empathetic, actually. It means, yeah. uh, you know, understanding the problems that your prospects have and, and how they're trying to solve them and then being able to put yourself in their shoes, first of all, but also see the journey that they have to go through to get where they want to go. Um, because a lot of times it's not that they chose to buy from your competitor. It's that they chose not to buy at all because they felt like they couldn't do it. I mean, some obvious examples of that might be weight loss or fitness or, or something like that. But it, it really applies to any problem uh, that is not mandatory. So if you're going to sell your house, you pretty much have to choose a realtor or you have to choose to sell it yourself. So a choice is going to be made. 
But in other instances, they might decide just not to do it at all. Yeah. You know, there is that element of the bold stance, but there's also the element, uh, bold stance of what you stand for, but there's also the element of the bold stance of what you're against. Uh, Did that come into play as you were growing your audience and even in some of these rap battles on blogs um, that you were having of, you know, no, I'm, I'm definitely against that. And did, pe- did you find people rallying around you with that particular side of things? Or was it more in the, this is what I stand for and forget everything else? No. And so I generally say there's four types of persuasive content. There's attraction, uh, authentic content. I mean, authority content, I'm sorry. Um, the final is action, of course, what you want them to do. But one of the most important pieces and the one people shy away from is aspirational. Um, they have to, you have to attract people that share your worldview, that uh, agree with the way that you view the world and the, and the way you choose to live your life, run your business. Uh, it's essentially what makes people like you. You know, you hear the whole term, people do business with uh, others that they know, like, and trust. The like comes from value and, and from the fact that you know what you're talking about and provide a good service and all that. But, I mean, you know how it is. You could say anything online and someone's going to say you're you're wrong. Right. <laughs> or, you know, and yet that's what scares people off and it, it's what makes their content whitewashed, wishy-washy, you know, completely bland to where no one hates you. But no one loves you either, and, and that's the worst thing, apathy. So you need to stand for what you believe in. You need to express it. I don't try to go out of my way to be controversial. Um, all I do is tell people what I think and, and what I stand for, and the haters come. But you got to <laughs> ignore them because the ones who love you, that's who you're talking to, not them. Don't fight the haters. Embrace the lovers. That's a like tweetable if there ever was one. <laughs> <laughs> I will be happy to allow you to tweet that. <laughs> Everybody tweet that. Tweet at Brian Clark. Wait, are you at Brian Clark or are you copy blogger? Yeah, at Brian Clark. Yeah. So since we just touched on copy blogger, you did make a transition at one point, though, when you went from copy blogger being one of the, the many businesses under this um, umbrella that's now called Rainmaker Digital. Um, what was that transition like and moving your blog into a bigger um, a bigger part of something greater than you? Well, I mean, it kind of started that way, even with the individual businesses. I was making a lot of money. I could have just been happy and not done anything. But again, we merged all the companies together to form one company that, uh, again, now has 65 people to build the Rainmaker platform because that's, it's just, that was my vision. If I have one that uh, we needed a very powerful integrated online marketing solution that non-technical people wouldn't feel overwhelmed by. And um, it's a hard problem to solve, especially when you're bootstrapped. I mean, I know you guys are the same way. You have to, you just have to buckle down and build. What we did was interesting in the sense that, Okay, if you're building an all-in-one integrated sash, you have to build the parts one at a time if you don't have a war chest of venture capital. So what we did is we would build the individual technology components. Now, first of all, we would build the tech for ourselves because, I mean, we do have very high-traffic sites. We're fairly sophisticated marketers. 
So that was kind of our thing. You know, we built this for ourselves and hopefully it'll be good for you. Uh, so we did that with WordPress hosting with synthesis. Um, that started because we were frustrated with hosting providers. Mm -hmm. We brought our hosting in house. We refined it to our needs, which are pretty demanding. And then we launched it and said, Hey, this is our hosting, (laughs) you know, uh, it, but we never, that the, the thing people don't necessarily understand is though we weren't trying to become a WordPress hosting company. I mean, I think synthesis makes us 3 million bucks a year, but we don't even promote it really because we had to build infrastructure for rainmaker so we're like, okay, we need to sell this in the meantime to make money to keep going. Mm-hmm. And we did that with our membership software, our landing page software. Um, what else have we got? Uh, we, we basically sold everything that we had built until the point of 2014 when we launched 1.0 of Rainmaker. And then we quickly evolved that to a uh, – that was a, like a pilot program. And I think it was only four months later we were at version 2.0 and the public launch – the Rainmaker platform is only two years old. Uh, we just added our integrated email solution. So all the pieces are there now. But of course, as any software company knows, especially SaaS, you're never done. You're never done. <laughs> you're always, always making it better. And, and I think that benefits, you know, everyone's customers who has that philosophy. It's what you get burned by the guy or anyone who says, okay, I've got this recurring revenue and I'm just going to kick it at the beach. And eventually that goes away. Unfortunately, that mentality is all too common. And that's not only true in the SaaS world, but for bloggers in general. I mean, everything you just said applies to building any kind of business, that you have to go piece by piece and you have to know what your priorities are. And, uh, and, you know, you were really building a solution for yourselves and then, um, turning that around and selling it in order to provide for the next piece. And all too often we see bloggers and business owners trying to do all the things and build all of the pieces at the same time. They're trying to establish themselves on all the different social media channels and grow their email list and write on their blog every day and, you know, serve clients and build a product. They're doing (laughs) all of it at the same time and none of it really well. Yeah. I mean, I see an incredible lack of patience, especially when people will see where Nathan Berry is today and not realize all the work I know from talking to him, all the work he's done for years to become an overnight success. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. everyone always forgets that it's a methodical step-by-step process. And if you try to think of it, your end goal all at once, you will be so overwhelmed. I mean, I don't care if you have that war chest of venture capital. It's still methodical. So my primary philosophy is when I wake up in the morning, I've already identified the most important thing that has to happen that way to keep the ball moving forward. Now, stuff pops up, but that thing has to get done. And, and, And sooner or later, you're in the future and you're like, wait, I got there. But if you if you suffer from overwhelm or impatience, you get to that same day in the future and you have nothing. I mean, Rainmaker Digital did not have a podcast network, did not have all the the hosting, the the email marketing, the the do you have WordPress um or you have just general themes and things like that that you guys do within Rainmaker. Yeah, we're we're like All, in two two worlds. It's like yeah. we're, if you want WordPress here, we can help you with that. 
And if you want the platform, then that's yeah. that's what you graduate to, I guess. But you didn't have all those elements at the beginning or maybe even in your mind at the beginning. They came through a need from your own business and a need from your customers because you were busy listening. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And and also, you know, when we say we use we built stuff for ourselves and then sold it, all our sites are now on rain. Well, not all of them. We we have some legacy. We built all our own technology and sometimes you you realize that moving uh you know technology over you have to find time to do that but copy bloggers on rainmaker uh digital commerce institutes on rainmaker rainmaker fm was conceived first and foremost even though we're really uh into podcasting and we can talk about why given that we're historically uh, a readership type audience yeah um, but that was first and foremost we said we can justify doing this alone because it's a demonstration of the rainmaker platform so let's talk about that, Brian, because it it's probably a, a question you get quite often. Um, and I know, I mean, even myself as someone who has read Copyblogger for a long time, to see Rainmaker come out with a, a di- digital podcast platform, um, you know, there's... And there's so many amazing shows on it too. So it's quite the the breadth of um, of options that you can go through on the podcast platform. And it almost is like, well, wait a second. I thought this was a copy world. And mm-hmm. what's what's the deal with podcasting? I mean, obviously we we started a podcast here at ConvertKit. We know the value of podcasting. But what did it mean for you? And why did you get why did you decide to go so wide with it and have so many kind of fingers out there with podcasting? Yeah. First of all, just to touch on something you said about copy, copy drives, radio ads, radio programs, scripts, television, videos, right? It's all about words. Okay. So there's that, but um, you make a fair point in that we have, I don't know, 400,000 people, you know, who subscribe to copy blogger in some form uh, and they're primarily readers. You know, when we first did our first podcast in 2010, uh, we had a small core audience, but most people didn't seem interested. And that was a mistake I made that I didn't see beyond that. Uh, so we went back to, you know, infographics and, and articles and, and things like that. Um, but when we, when we eventually decided to, to really go into podcasting, I mean, I had a podcast in uh, 2014 that we literally launched the pilot program of the platform off of. And that's interesting because we are a written word type company, Um, but it it worked. It was amazing. Later that year, Serial happened and we're like, okay, Mm. finally, 10 years later, (laughs) podcasting (laughs) is going mainstream. And, uh, but, but here's the thing, here's why. And this show is called Reach, right? Uh, We have a really good size audience uh, for our text content. But most of the world doesn't read. I mean, statistically, it's a fact. Uh, Most people don't read more than one book a year, if that. So a lot of people just don't like to read. A lot of people like to listen. And video, obviously, is even more popular than that. So when you talk about reach... And you talk about the mainstreaming of social media marketing and the mainstreaming of content marketing to where it, it's just marketing now, right? Yeah. Uh, I think Scott Brinker said, there is no digital marketing. We market in a digital world. And I a whole totally agree with that. So if you're only producing text, your reach is severely diminished. 
you're, I mean, despite the audience that you have. And we're a very ambitious company, and we do want to reach anyone that we can and help them out and hopefully make them a customer someday. But here's the thing. We also love podcasting. I mean, really love it. Yeah. I, I often tell people in 2005, that was the first year of podcasting. And it was also the beginning of commercial blogging. And I'm a writer, okay? And I actually considered starting a podcast instead of copy blogger. How monumentally stupid would that have been? Oh, wow. I'm really glad that you waited. I probably wouldn't be a writer at all had you started a podcast and not started writing because I wouldn't have had anything to read from you. Oh, well, thank you. (laughs) But I'm glad that you did get into podcasting because the the podcasts are fantastic. And, And I know from being on the other side of the mic that there is something really special about it. And and from being a longtime podcast fan, um, several of my favorites are on the Rainmaker platform, but um, they you just feel such a connection to the person that they're in your ear, like literally inside of your ears. That's an important point because, you know, right, strong writers developed a distinctive voice. And I like to think that I did that, especially during the early days of Copyblogger. Um but there's nothing like it being your actual voice, yeah. right? And like you said, you're in someone's head, and it's an honor to be invited into someone's head. So, you know, I try to give the most value that I can, obviously, while also trying to make sure that we grow the business. And the value is across the board, really the standard, I suppose, the standard of, of the value is really high on all the shows. And I just want to I just wanted to say that to you personally, um, you know, just like copy blogger, I think there's the there's a, a moment in kind of everyone's business building. And when they are it, maybe it comes up when they are trying to do all the things at once that it's like, oh, well, I just I just have to post something today. I just have to I, I got a podcast. so I'm just going to podcast. Uh, everyone's doing that. So I'm going to start a podcast. And there's not really attention to the the level of quality and, um, you know, what you put out being consistently, um, you know, valuable and from the, the sound quality on every single podcast you put out to the quality of the, the posts on the website, everything has to have that, um, that same level. And like you said, you have that, you have your voice. So everyone, everything needs to kind of go with the same voice too. And when you're busy putting your hands in all the all the fires. Um, it's hard to to say no. Let's stop and look at quality and make sure that that's where we want it before we just put something out for the sake of putting things out. Yeah, I think that's a, a, a core value to use that term mm-hmm. uh, that started with my attitude at the very beginning, and it, it just carried over with everyone that quality matters. Number one. I don't ever want to do something just because I feel like I should or because other people are doing it. It has to help me meet my objective, my business goal. Uh, The second driving force in my life is I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't ever want to put anything out there that is subpar, right? So if we had crappy audio quality but great content, I mean, data shows people won't listen to you. Audio quality matters. It just does. When that's the only thing that you have, especially on a podcast, um, you know, that's it's number one. So do you feel that podcasting or or starting the podcasting network um, has and having all those shows, having all those 
ears that are welcoming you in. Um, is that contributed to the reach that you have today uh, as one of the biggest contributors, or is there another big contributor? Well, you know, uh, the, the podcast network is a long game. We're actually um, cutting down the number of shows a bit because we realize that each show brand is more important than the network brand. Mm. And I don't think we were thinking that way at first, but hey, live and learn. That's great. Uh, but we did 3 million downloads in our first year, which, which wasn't incredible. bad. Um, and, you know, we know we're resonating with people. They're a different type of person than might be over on the blog. We briefly took away transcripts and everyone hated on us. And, we were, <laughs> and it really happened because of a mistake. And it was really weird. It's not like it's that expensive. Um, so we brought them back. So uh, I think Rainmaker FM is, is going to be really valuable in that sense. But the transcripts are great, too. And you, you might do this as well because you get that transcript whether it's an interview or more of a, a lesson, and then you turn that into an article or a slide share or, you know, I mean, so mm -hmm. the repurposing aspect of starting with audio is pretty amazing as well. I actually have done that. I've gone back to your transcripts. I was listening to an episode of Showrunner and I went, I was listening to it while I was out walking and, um, thought I heard a part that I thought, oh, that'd be really great for an article that I'm writing for the ConvertKit blog. So I went back to the transcript so I could pull up the exact conversation and um, pulled it into the into the blog. So it's, you know, transcripts are useful for more than just on your side, repurposing. Uh, so you're saying that they promote links as well. That's right. <laughs> they do. Yeah. I mean, they, it gives people an opportunity to pull content from your podcast and quote it in on their blog and on their site. So, you know, the the opportunities are endless with, with something like a transcript. You just don't know what is happening until you put it out there. Yeah, I think the initial cost, you know, when people start off with podcasts, and a lot of podcasters don't do tri uh, transcripts, yeah. but I don't think, I mean, it is incredibly useful to uh, site visitors and that is important, but it, it's probably not the best reason to spend the money when you're just starting out. The best reason is I can make five pieces of content instead of just one. Yeah. Have, where else are you duplicating content? I mean, not that it's, it, I hate the word duplicating because it makes it sound like, oh, it's just a carbon copy, but it's obviously used in very different ways. Like you said, slideshows and um, blog posts and things like that. Yeah. Here's an interesting example where someone else. Okay. So we've got digital commerce summit coming up in October and I, uh, in the course of the last season of Unemployable this spring, interviewed several of our speakers. And then Sonia Simone of our company went to the transcripts and wrote articles. I mean, original articles. It's her, but she's quoting just like you did, but she's internal, yeah. right, to do pro written profiles on Copyblogger uh, that are selling tickets to the event, uh. right? So that's a great example. And, and you know, Sonia's a gifted writer. So give her some material to start with. And, and she's off to yeah, the races. She's like, thanks, Brian. I will take this and turn it into. Yeah. Instead of having to interview the, the speaker mm -hmm. again, there's content there. And then if she had a follow up question or something like that, then she just emailed them. That's genius. And so it's not only having that place within your own 
house of ways to duplicate content. But then um, who I think it's Corbett Barr that talks about this on the, the Fizzle blog. He talks about ways to duplicate content. And even he's played around in his podcast with um, doing it on video, too, and having it on YouTube and then also having the audio and then having the transcript as a blog post and all the, you know, all the different ways that you can reuse. Yeah. And here's, here's another thing because we're really big on not building on other people's land. Syndication is fine, but you don't want to build your blog on medium. Um, You know, and this mistake keeps the, the the mistake that was made with Facebook should have taught everyone don't do that. (laughs) But uh, but but again, so let's say my goal with Unemployable specifically um, as my podcast and newsletter. So I take some of that uh, transcribed content and assemble really fascinating articles that have quotes from guests or, or pull from lessons or whatnot. And, and of course, I can publish that as a new article uh, that goes into my Unemployable newsletter for people who maybe didn't listen to those episodes or whatever. But then also, then you can actually take that content and post it someplace like Medium that has its own community. And let's say it catches on there. You're obviously pointing back to your email list and your Mm -hmm. podcast. So that type of syndication is incredibly smart because it's like guest blogging to a certain extent. You're reaching someone else's community. It's just that Medium... Uh, you know, has a, a really large com- community. Oh, and here's a tip too: if your bi- if your largest social audience is on Twitter, log into Medium with Twitter, and everyone who follows you on Twitter who's in Medium is part of your audience immediately. I, in Medium, that's kind of cool. That's a great yeah. hack. I hate that word, but it's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I found it by accident. <laughs> yeah, well, I know that um, Paul Jarvis, Jeff Goins, they both do that. Um, but then you do have the case that, you know, 37 Signals moved their blog completely to Medium and they only publish there. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I disagree yeah, with that. It's uh, fascinating to Bill me. Bill Simmons from ESPN. You know, okay, here's a great example. Bill Simmons you know, got canned from ESPN basically because he's volatile, Mm. you know, and he didn't control the platform, so he lost it, right? So what does he do? He goes to Medium next. Now, maybe that's not as authoritative and, you know, whatever as as ESPN management might be, but he hasn't learned his lesson that the technology, I mean, again, this is the, the problem we're trying to solve with Rainmaker, which is you have to make it easy enough for non technical people to manage their own property. So they're not convinced to go to someone else's. And then when the rules change, they're like, wait a minute, how could you do this to me? Well, what did you expect? You don't own that. Sure. Medium is way easier to write on than WordPress um, for a blog post. But again, you don't own that content once it's only on Medium. Yeah. And and so we look at Medium and and we're going to have like the you know, the front end admin interface, that really cool effect and all that. All of that is doable. Yeah. All we need. And then, oh, here. So that's a perfect example of affinity type, you know, standing up for this. Don't build on someone else's land. We've been saying that since 2007. And every time Zuckerberg helps us out by pulling a bait and switch on people, we're like, see, told you. Yep. <laughs> yep. And, you know, that's something we talk about over and over again with building your email list. It's the one place you can 
always contact those people. If you're yeah. only building a email Twitter following. Still, email is still the thing. Yeah. You, the whole purpose of, so I tell people the whole purpose of content marketing is to sell your stuff, right? No. The whole purpose of content marketing is to build your email list so you can sell your stuff. That's because right. Because it's the conversion channel. Well, to build your email list so that you can build trust and uh, and then sell oh, your yeah, stuff, of right? Course. Yeah. It's so. not an automatic you know, spam process. That's exactly the definition of spam. No yeah. value. I got your address. I'm pitching some crap at you. That That's the worst. Yeah. It's, but, there's human beings on the other side of the computer screen. <laughs> but if you do it right, you know, email still converts 40 times more than social media channels. That's, yeah. that's monumental. It's incredible. So with those human beings that are part of your email list, do you is there a particular post on your on your blog or maybe even an episode of a po- of one of your podcasts that you wish all those those humans on your email list would would know about and would get their eyes on? Well, if there is, then we generally send it to them, ah, which is the yeah. beauty of it. Um, but I was reminded of something something you said earlier when you said, "Oh, I got to post something." Um, <laughs> fond memory. So I think it was 2007 or late 2006. And I, on Copyblogger at that time, it was just me. And I always committed to two articles a week, but high quality. They mm-hmm. had to be like super useful, like educational, not just something to post. And I remember one of my, I, I think it was Tuesdays and Thursdays that I posted. And I remember it being like Seven thirty or eight or nine, late and tired on a Wednesday night, uh-huh. and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, I'm so tired. I don't know what to write. I've got to post something tomorrow, but it can't suck. It's got to be useful. Maybe it'll be boring, but uh, I'll do five grammar mistakes that make you look dumb." And and you may find this funny now, but at that time, I had no idea what posting about grammar does on the interwebs. Oh, yeah. I mean, so it, it, I, I, I posted it. it. It wasn't super long. It was kind of simple. And I went to bed. Next morning, I don't know if you remember those days when dig.com was oh, yeah. social media. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's on the dig homepage. And people are fighting like it's a civil war over grammar Nazis versus you know, grow up, language evolves. And I'm like, wow, wow. I'll just grab some popcorn and watch. But, you know, so... Talk about <laughs> taking a bold stance, though. <laughs> I mean, but that to me, that was the most... I mean, that's the closest I ever came to, to what I thought was dialing it in. Yeah. Uh, but, of course, after that, we routinely did grammar posts just <laughs> to watch, you know, the traffic <laughs> and the argument start. And here's another funny thing. Uh, I think it was... 2010 or 2011, uh, we did an infographic when infographics were all the rage yeah. then. Um, of we kind of aggregated the best tips from all our grammar posts over the years. That infographic is the single most popular post in Copyblogger history by an order of magnitude. Wow! It, it got something like 300,000 pins when Pinterest was new. Wow. I mean, it's just ridiculous. But now here's an important lesson. That's popular content. Is that content that is probably best suited for driving our business objectives? No. 
but it gets us exposure. And you think about that in terms of, okay, I got people to the site. Now we can start teaching them things that are a little more down the funnel, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, but some people can, you know, confuse popularity with effectiveness all the time. And you have to be very disciplined not to do that. Uh, Unbounce, they call it tofu, or it's either Unbounce or Buffer refers to it as tofu, the top of the funnel, and that you have to <laughs> balance. You have to balance your tofu posts with. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. I didn't see that. I like Buffer. Yeah. I like all those guys, but uh, yeah. I've never heard that before. Yeah, that's a, that's what they refer to it as, and I I love that. Just as a, I mean, it's it's a great acronym. Um, and but you do have to balance them with. They say you have to balance your tofu with your meat. Um, so you have to balance. Yeah, nice the, analogy. I'm yeah, gonna steal it. I know, right? <laughs> the um, the tofu, the top of the funnel posts, those more popular posts, that whatever is, you know, maybe right now it's Periscope, and in 2011 it was in, in infographics, and you know, it, whatever it was at the time, um, you you balance those more popular pieces with the the meatier pieces that um, retain the people you want to keep communicating with once they get to your site. Yeah. And serving an audience over time, like we have, tells you that, you know, what goes is popular, but you also know what uh, takes people to the next level and ultimately converts. So yeah. that's, that's a benefit of doing the job. I think some people start off and they want all the answers. No, the audience has the answers. It's up to you to pay attention, you know, and keep trying different things and making accurate observations. Yeah. That's right. So, Brian, now that you have built this audience at Copyblogger and brought it into Rainmaker Digital and, and you're building out this platform and it's growing and who knows where it'll go, um, do, you, do you know what you want to do ultimately with the reach that you have today? Well, we have uh, a couple other things in the pipeline. We're, we're such a build and launch company. I mean, every, it's like we get nervous if we don't create something new and launch it. Now, a lot of that just happens inside the platform now. And that was the goal. So goal number one, um, you know, maintain our existing lines of business uh, according to priority, make sure our support takes care of our existing customers. And it's not just off chasing new ones. In fact, you should take better customers, uh, better care of your existing customers for retention than, you know, hunting and gathering all the time. For sure. Um, but I think the, the priority is keep improving constantly, keep iterating, just never be satisfied. And unfortunately, that's not a problem because I'm never satisfied <laughs> in, in a good way, though, I think. And uh, so, expo- you know, according to reach, as in I've never heard a copy blogger before. Well, that just means we're stepping outside of the content marketing ecosystem, because within that world, we're still the largest content marketing blog in the world, you know, but it, you can get so easily uh, bewitched by your existing influence. You need to take a step back and have some humility and realize, and this is true. Like I live in Boulder, Colorado. It's a tech town. I walk down the street. Most people don't know who I am. You know, it's rare for someone to go, Hey, you're Brian Clark. Um, I like that actually, but, but it, it lets you know that we operate in niche communities and the only way to, to reach beyond, you can expand the community that you have, but you can also develop other ones. That's why we started digital commerce Institute because that's the kind of company we actually are, but we're known as a WordPress company or a content marketing company. 
But look at what we actually do. We sell digital products and services. So that was the next step in the evolution. I, and I think the only valid advice I can give for people when contemplating expanding reach is what makes sense? What's the natural next step? And that's where we're at right now. And I, and I, I think we're on a good path. Yeah, not forcing it. And just to tie back to what you said at the very beginning, you know, looking at where your audience is and how you can better serve the existing audience that you have, and that will naturally impact your reach overall um, as you continue to keep your current customers or or clients or readers, whatever level of business you have, keeping those people who are already with you really happy will only serve you in the long run. Oh, yeah. That's your most important business asset, your customer base and your audience. Yeah. And, And audiences often reflected best by email. And it, it pains me that some people are still surprised that email's not dead. But <laughs> that's okay. We'll keep preaching, right? That's right. <laughs> we have a recent blog post all about that on the ConvertKit blog um, about is email dead? Because it's still a conversation that that happens. Um, and and th- there's the whole conversation of is blogging dead? And that comes up a lot too. But, you know, things just and go that's through been cycles. Going on since 2005, <laughs> every year. Right. I mean, it's just that there's so many new people in the industry and that's fantastic, but they don't have any historical perspective, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so we have to keep repeating these things to make sure no one's confused. I mean, if fashion has shown us nothing throughout history, that is very true. <laughs> Uh, thank you, Brian, for coming on the podcast today and sharing everything that you did. And we know that Rainmaker is only going to do great things with the reach that you have now and the reach that you'll get as you continue to grow. So thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed this conversation. That was Brian Clark of Rainmaker Digital. You can find out more about Brian and the Rainmaker platform at RainmakerDigital.com. Grab your free action guide from this episode to help you impact your own reach today. Head to convertkit.com slash reach, or simply click the link provided right in your podcast player. It's time to expand your reach. We're so glad you started here. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.